everybody, and welcome to the Perfect Love Podcast. I'm glad you're joining us. As you can see, we're doing this over Zoom because our guest is my beautiful, wonderful friend, Ian Sotomayor, um, joining us from LA. So yeah, uh, I'm Austin. I'm one of the hosts here, and my pronouns are he, him. And we also have Sarah, the lovely co-host. Yes. Hi, everyone. And um, I use she, her pronouns. And we have our lovely guest, Ian. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ian Sotomayor, and my pronouns are he, him. Awesome. I'm so excited to honestly go over this topic, uh, talking about wonder and questioning and doubt. Uh, it's going to be a lot to unload, and it's going to be a bunch of fun. Uh, one, because it's a cool topic. Two, because I just like talking with Ian um, in general, but yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about this too, for the record. And I'm also excited to get to know you, Ian, because I think I've met you three times and you've been lovely the three times I've met you, but I didn't (laughs) learn much about you any of those three times. Um, well, I am happy to share. I I love, I love talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. Um, Because the first question, which I'm actually asking to everyone, but you can start with since you love to talk about yourself. Um, How are you? How is life? What are you up to? I am all right. Um, I am, I feel like I'm always just thriving and suffering at the same time. I really feel like it's a paradox that I'm trapped in and it's been going on my whole life. Um, so that's how I am. But um, I guess I was just talking with Austin about how I don't know if there's many people left in the CCW community who knew me back when I was more involved and I was in high school. Um, so to kind of give a little background about myself, um, I am 21 years old. I am starting, I just started my senior year, my fourth year at the University of Southern California just this past Monday. Um, I'm double majoring in psychology and philosophy and minoring in religion. Um, I hope to pursue a PhD in clinical psychology when I graduate, but who knows if it'll happen. Um, Moved here when I was 18 from St. Augustine, Florida. Um, I lived there for about nine years and moved there when I was nine. Um, I consider myself kind of from Florida. That's right. I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, but they're just irrelevant. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Since moving to LA, I rejected Florida just because I was like, mm, I don't know any people thinking I'm from there. So every now and then I'll tell, tell people from, I'm from LA. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I am Latino. Both my parents moved, they both immigrated here from Peru, South America. Um, I grew up speaking Spanish and English. Um, had a pretty broken childhood. Parents got divorced when I was four. I moved every single year. Um, yeah, like after pre-K, after kindergarten, after first, all the way. I, then I moved during fourth to Florida, and then I stayed somewhat more stable. Um, yeah, I struggled with mental health issues in my family a lot growing up. Um, so I think being raised by immigrant parents, I was kind of conditioned to like, oh, you're going to grow up, be a doctor. That changed psychiatrists, that changed psychologists, and here we are now. Um, I am bisexual, very proud bisexual. I love being queer. Um, no offense to y'all straight people, but like, it's just really not it. Like being curious is a special kind of thing. And I um, love to be loudly anti-racist. I love confrontation. For anyone who likes the Enneagram, I am a sexual Enneagram. Um, I'm a type four uh, with a wing three. And if you know about subtypes, I'm a sexual four wing three. So I can come across very eight-ish and seem like a, like a real eight. Um, anyone who's in the Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFJ. And anyone into astrology, 
I am an Aries sun, Pisces rising Leo moon. If you really care, I'm a Pisces Mercury, Taurus, Venus, and Scorpio Mars. If none of that makes sense to you, that's okay. None of it really matters. Just know that I like to be loud, I like to be aggressive, and I don't really, and I like to mind my business. I think it's a human right that everyone is entitled to mind their business. If you do not like me, that's okay. Let me know. Either you can leave or I can leave, because I have no problem leaving. So, yeah, a little bit about me. This is so great. Ian, that's, that was an incredible intro. I just, <laughs> I, I, I'm a little in awe, I'm a little starstruck, honestly. Like, I'm dead. I, I'm glad. I'm glad I can be a good person to interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, following that, uh, you know me. I've been at CCW forever, and if you're new, you still know me because you're either student leader or something. But hello. Uh, I have been all right as well. I've been very busy and very tired. Uh, I, today, I have not stopped since I woke up. Uh, just going from one place to another um, and doing lots of work. Uh, work that I love, though, which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, I'm doing all right. What about you, Sarah? I know you love answering this question. so I don't like talking about myself. I'm the opposite of Ian. Um, I am fine. Um, it's been a really busy week um, between CCW starting back and my other jobs starting back because they're all tied to academia. Um, tired and I'm excited for all the things, but also stressed about all the things. Yeah. And that's, that's about where I am. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've always thought it was funny how I feel like that saying all the things has just remained so pertinent to the CCW community. Even since I was there, people were saying it all the time. Remember when I met everyone and I was like, why are these weird white people saying all the things? It's kind of strange. But, you know, it kind of picked up. But I just think it's, like, it's not good or bad. I just think it's interesting how much y'all, like, I don't think I really hear anyone else say all the things like y'all say all the things. We had a whole uh, Bible study group called All the Things that I did at Flagler for a while, too. That I, I hadn't even thought of all the things as, like, CCW lingo, but it totally is. There is so much CCW lingo. I remember when I first showed up, which I guess was, like, four or five years ago now. It was right, like, I think it was right after, e like, right before Ian left. I think I saw him at one gathering, and then he was gone. Uh, um, it was a, was <laughs> a community night. I know he I, was at one community night, and then, like, that was the last. Well, night. no, I was, he, like, came back and, like, surprised everyone at a community yeah. night, and everyone's flipping out, and I was like, who's this man? Like, what is, like. I would have given the same reaction. Who is this man? Why is he here? Yeah, I was like, why is everyone, like, so excited? And then. I didn't say a word to you that whole night, and so I, hey, I, I never really you, learned what was so great. But. If I were you, I wouldn't have said anything either, so it's okay. <laughs> um, well, it's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah. yeah. But there's such lingo in CCW, all the things, calling people friend, yeah. Um, yeah. the whole God is absent, life is hard, like. <laughs> yeah. That's Which hard. Is. <laughs> it's the truth. But. Well, with that, I think we're good to go into some topic discussion. We won't be having live Q&A, of course, because we're pre-recording this on Zoom. Uh, but uh, Ian, I already know you kind of gave an, uh, like a look into your life, but uh, I just wanted to know a little bit of your life and like faith 
and just what that journey has been so far. Yeah, sure. So it's interesting because I was never raised in the church. Um, my parents were Catholic, quote unquote, growing up. Most people, if not, I think like 90% of South Americans identify as Catholic. So it was just like a thing they did. But I think my earliest memories were of my mother reading me Bible stories. Um, and I just thought they were cool. I thought they were great. And since my earliest early memory, I remember believing God was as real as rocks. And when I thought about things like atheism, I was like, oh, like you can be atheist if you want to, but like, it's like if I said, oh, rocks aren't real, you can't, you can't prove it to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just seemed just absolute whether you believed in it or not. Um, and so growing up, it was so funny. I feel like I never really had imaginary friends. I just talked to God. <laughs> I would be dead ass on the playground, just talking to God, you know, saying little prayers, playing by myself, doing things like that. Um, so I feel like when I was younger, I really cultivated um, a pretty strong intimate relationship between me and Jesus. Like I said, I moved around a lot. Um, I never really had friends. People never liked me. They bullied me a lot. So it was really just me and, and God. My parents worked both full time, so I was alone a lot of the time. Um, so I think those set some foundations for me to be very committed, in my, in, in my opinion, to Jesus. Um, as I grew older, um, the bullying got worse. In middle school, this rumor went around that I was gay. And at the time, I was not out as bisexual, and I didn't want anyone to know I was queer because the South is a very homophobic and life-threatening place for queer people. So I would be like, no, I'm not, but no one believed me. And the bullying got worse. Um, I became suicidal. I went through all this depression and anxiety, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, as I was on the up and up, I met these eight people and I talk about them all the time. I'm, I started off with Sydney. I met our wonderful Sydney Jordan Buchanan. And she was my friend. She was one of the first friends I'd ever really had. And the day after eighth grade ended, she invited me to hang out with her and her friends. I met Austin, our lovely Austin William Davis there, his two brothers and the whole little clique that uh, they had going on. And next thing you know, I was hanging out with them every day, probably knowing them a little at first because I was like, wow, these are new people. I want to get to know them. Um, a little obsessive. I no, that's all attaching. Anyway, they really helped me bring my faith back to life. Um, while I was going through my dark time, I was convinced God hated me. I was convinced I was going to burn in hell no matter what. I remember thinking that, God, even though you hate me and I deserve your hatred, I still love you anyway. So, like, it's cool, bro. Like, I get it. Like, I am. Like, I really was just convinced that I, like, deserve to be in hell. Um, but these eight people, they really healed that. And they really brought me out of that. And they reminded me that Jesus is for me, with me, and will never forsake me. And I think after that, I really began to um, rekindle that relationship with Jesus. I became more involved with the church just because Sydney Austin, that little group of friends, they were like running a church at the time, always church involved. Um, so I engaged more with the American church through them. Um, and since then, I, I feel like my, I was most involved in the church when I was in CCW, for sure, for sure. But since moving to LA, I was a part of some cool churches. I was a part of one church for a really, really cool time, a long time, but they ended up being too homophobic um, and I had to go. I was like, y'all are hurting me. This is becoming dangerous, I gotta go. So I dropped them and I cried and then I got over it. And now I'm at a new church called New City Church Los Angeles. They're affirming, they are really diverse. Like 20% of our population is white, 20% is black, 20% is Latinx, 20% is Asian, 20% is other. We have like the same equal distributions across different class, people who are rich, rich, and some people who live on the street at my church. We have people of all sexual orientations and gender expressions, and they're really cool. I really, um, love being in them. I think they really, they mirror what I think Jesus' crowd would have looked like when he was walking on earth.
Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I think that's a, a great way to kind of uh, push us into the, just the topic discussion of wonder. Uh, so throughout that time of kind of going through these, these church places, but also uh, going through this, uh, like you're talking about in the very beginning, uh, that you believe God was as physical, as real as rocks. What did your relationship with doubts or questioning in faith look like? Um, I think I really came to grapple with this question when I was in high school. And I remember talking to my youth pastor right before I went to college because he was giving me the old, oh, you know, Ian, you're going to get to college and meet all these smart people and they're going to lead you astray. Like, don't forget the Lord is your savior and all yeah. that other bullshit. And I, at the time, liked the person more. So I was more like, oh, yeah, I appreciate it. Now when I think back, I see where they were coming from. I think given the cultural context that we were in, um, in St. Augustine and like the kind of time that we were at, um, I think that it makes sense why they said that. But I've always thought as doubt as inevitable. To me, it's not good or bad, it just is. I think Christians have a really weird, not a really, they have a strong habit of trying to shape and form our humanity, wanting us to be some kind of way because we want to be sinless and blameless before God, because we want to be good, blah, blah, we want to be righteous. And like, that's all fine and everything, but I think humans often therefore fight against their own, or not humans, Christians, um, American Christians, conservative American Christians really fight against their own human tendencies, I guess. Um, and so I feel like in the space that I was growing up in, doubt was seen as like, oh, you shouldn't doubt God. Like, what do you do? Not have a strong enough faith, blah, blah, blah. But I was always like, why is it whether we should or shouldn't doubt? At the end of the day, you're going to. Like, let's not play games. Why are you lying to yourselves? Like, you are going to doubt God. And the way I saw doubt was that I saw it as inevitable, but it never really worried me because I knew that my relationship with Jesus was more than anything based off my feelings. Some people think that's wrong, but I always saw it as like, even on the days when none of it makes sense in my head, when I can't really work out the solution, when I have two truths that both seem to be equally and as strongly true, but they kind of contradict each other. And one of them seems to quote unquote, go against God. Even on those days when I have a lot of doubt, I remind myself of how strongly and intimately I felt God and how I still feel God um, in every moment with me. And I think that is all the, um, it's all the like reassurance I need that when I am in extreme moments of doubt, I have to pray about it. I might cry about it, but then I just let it pass. And I am like, oh, maybe I'll figure out the answer one day or maybe I won't. But I think a large part of faith is accepting that the answers won't always be there. Mm. Yeah. When I was doing uh, research for like these questions and just some of the content here, uh, I immediately stumbled across how to respond to someone who's doubting articles, like doubting the faith. And like the first one was like, have mercy on them. (laughs) And the second one was like, remember there's a person under all of that doubt. I'm like, doubting is this dehumanizing to you? Like you have to work this hard in order to see the individual? Like, oh my God. But you're right, it's just, it's a system of control in a sense, but it's also just like making you feel weak if you go outside of the lines. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it makes sense to me, um, just in the sense that like Christians really want to be blameless before God. You know, you, we all want to be more like Jesus. We believe a lot more in changing who we are to be more like God. 
but I think that the way we, in which we go about doing it are just different. Yeah. I think it's very true though, that like sometimes the way, particularly like evangelical Christianity as someone who grew up in that neck of the woods, um, like we go about approaching people who have questions and doubt. It's like, you're allowed up to a point but there comes a point where like you just have to have faith and you become a problem for the church because they start to think you're going to lead people away. And so it does become when you've reached a certain level of doubt for them, an issue because you are threatening the fold and keeping people in the fold. And then you are threatening people's salvation. And maybe, maybe it's causing them to ask questions that they don't know the answers to. And I think evangelicals really pride themselves on having the answers. It's part of how they get people through the door, right? And get people saved by saying, this happened, there's this gap between you and God. And if you do this, you can be with God forever. And we have the answers and God will comfort you and make everything okay. And they do a really shitty job of admitting that we don't know everything. Mm -hmm. And that maybe the answers aren't all in the Bible. Maybe sometimes science has the answer and maybe sometimes it's not all literal. And that carries over to evangelism and stuff and then it leads to the dehumanization i remember i had a book at one point that was like 10 answers for atheists which i actually bought for myself because i spent some time not believing <laughs> um and and it was just i was like why like it wasn't even about like sitting with people from what i recall it was like here are the talking points mm. like it was people were issues yeah. like rather than people yeah, I, I do think if if churches and faith spaces allowed more people and encouraged more people to doubt that they'd actually see faith becoming stronger in that. Because my personal experience is as soon as I started doing that and started doubting and allowing those questions to happen, I found answers that didn't answer everything, but I felt more comfortable in. And like, okay, that's cool. And like you're saying, Ian, ha allowing both things to be true at the same time or things to be like that. It's just like, there's a greater truth to hold on to than this. And it's like, wow, I'm sorting this out. I can take a breath. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. That being said, uh, what are your thoughts on the mentality of the Bible having the answer to any of the questions like this is the answer to this doubt like kind of uh how do like, I feel about the Bible being, uh, like, what were you saying how i feel about the bible being the living breathing word of god yes that is yes exactly yes yes um so my gag is i've always wanted to believe in the infallibility of the bible I would love to really believe that it is, I'm a very physical person, I love touch, and I like holding things. And so I want to touch Jesus, quite literally. Like, I want to hug him, I want to hold him, I want to be in his lap, I want to just be in the presence. Um, and growing up, I always thought, like, oh, if this is the word of God, if this really is of God, it is the only tangible thing I have to touch. The amount of times when I was a kid and I would literally just cry my Bible, or hold my Bible while crying, or, like, um, go to it if I'm having a really bad panic attack. But I think as I grew older um, and I felt as if I was waking up more to the world, um, I struggled with it. I struggled with it, especially as a religion major, uh, minor in learning so much history of the Bible, how it came to be. And I think that um, 
the way local churches often run their business is that they try to just, whether or not they encourage questioning and doubting, I think that like they, it's not feasible for every single believer in this country or on the planet to learn all the history of the Bible because you have to be educated to a certain extent in order to understand the history, right? And so I can see why like if someone's really asking all these questions and you're like, oh, I don't think you're gonna get it. You're like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Just, just, just believe me, just trust me, it's the word of God. But um, there's just so much in the Bible that I think that it's like, humans made this, bro. I mean, I do believe it's of God. I believe it's God inspired. I believe God is in it. I believe God works with it. But for me to really believe that it is without error, no one has ever been able to touch it or edit it in a way that they wanted to is just, I think, untrue. And I think to believe so adamantly that, oh no, the Bible has not been tainted. It is still to this day exactly what God wants it to be. I think you're still lying to yourself. I think you're pretending that people haven't had motivations to make certain messages. Be there was a time when people would use the Bible to justify slavery. People still use that to slavery, but they're more quiet about it. And I'm sure that some people read it in some kind of way to their masses to make it seem like slavery was okay. And I'm sure once the abolition movement really, really grew in power, I'm sure the Bible was read and printed in some kind of way to make you believe that slavery was not it. You know what I'm saying? And so I think to really, I think a lot of Christians, in my opinion, misjudge the extent to which humans can hold influence over the Bible. And I think that once you think about that more, I think that you find that there is a tension with like, this is the word of God, but there, there has been human tampering. Um, what do I believe? What do I not believe? How strongly do I believe it? And I think that's when you rely on the Holy Spirit. That's when you rely on the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's when you can ask, ask yourself if you have faith to just kind of wrestle with it for a moment. And maybe you'll get an answer, maybe you won't. But we were never promised all the answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, religion can often be used as a tool. Um, and it often has been used as a tool and often will be used as a tool. Uh, like you're talking about it justifying slavery, uh, the, the, also, we have to talk about the translations and like each translation is going to be skewed to whatever time that it's in and whatever, like, uh, if it's in Germany, if it's in America, if it's in Africa, like that changes everything. And whatever is going on in the world in that moment changes the translation. Mm -hmm. So it's like, not only is it, it's people writing this who can have bad grammar sometimes and like things as simple as that. It's, mm -hmm. it's translation. It's, it's all of these different things, but yeah, it, it can be used as a tool to control. But I think when we break away from that is when it's faith. And when we start seeing the uh, least of these, when we start applying Jesus's gospel to it, um, it starts to, I'm not going to say it becomes more clear completely, but I think it, in a sense, kind of becomes more clear and the doubts can be a little more, uh, I don't know, when it, when, it, when it comes to me in reading like Jesus's gospel, mm -hmm. things kind of shift a little bit mm -hmm. and like the, the doubt meters are a little different compared to the Old Testament and Revelation and some of the other people, but like Jesus's gospel, when we look at that and we look at what Jesus was doing, it really changes the game. Yes, I hear you. I definitely think that, um, I think that one thing Christians should let go of is thinking that they can really ever 
decide, discover, or know the path of another person. Just, if we really believe God is after the heart of every single human on earth, um, I tend to take that a step further and believe that the Holy Spirit is after every person on earth and is with them and present, even if they haven't been accepted yet, I feel like the Holy Spirit is there. And so even in moments when there are people who I like vehemently disagree with, or I really, really think they're wrong, and I think they're doing, not only being wrong, they're doing wrong into the world, no matter how much I scream, beg, cry, I can't make them believe what I believe. I can't make them think some kind of way. And I, and I can scream to God, like, yo, what the fuck? Like, why is this person who follows you saying that they do this? It doesn't make sense. But in the same way that I often ask straight Christians to not try to be the ones to decide whether being queer is okay or not and leave it between me and Jesus, I feel in the same way with almost anything. You really... Yep. There are some things you can talk about, you can like discuss, maybe find an answer communally to, but a lot of things when it gets that intense, I really feel like you have to leave it between that person and Jesus. You can point them back to Jesus all you want, you can give them the resources, but at the end of the day, it's gonna have to be between them and yeah. Jesus. Because we're not saving anyone.